Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Our world right now is shouting out about freedom, worried about freedom. Do you know just about a month from yesterday, there's an event coming up you might want to be tuned into. Some people feel that we're going to be acting for our very rights, our very freedoms. Some people believe that there's an ideological war that's at place right now that can mean the difference between whether we have freedom to do what we're doing right now or not. But I want to tell you today there's a greater freedom. There's a freedom that matters most. Ezekiel chapter 18, starting at verse 30, says this. It says, Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Now, I want to tell you when it says house of Israel, God is talking to his people. We are his people. We are the engrafted house of Israel. And he's asking us, repent and turn yourselves. It's a 180 degree move from all of your transgressions. Why? Because iniquity could be our ruin. What is iniquity? Constant, habitual, lagging, generational sin. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. You can be seated this morning. Now somebody might be saying, "Uh uh-oh, here comes that that hellstone brimfire. How's that go? Brimstone hellfire. You know, traditionally when repentance was, was, was taught and, and preached from the pulpit, it was, it was like that. It was, it was Billy Sunday. It was crashing and, and, and harsh and repent, you sinners, and your redemption draweth nigh. And, and, and you know what? That's true. That hadn't changed. <laughs> repentance is still repentance. Sin is still sin. And we need to continue to preach this very key foundational element of what it is that we do and how we walk in our lives with Jesus Christ. I'm very thankful this morning for for Brother and Sister Brown, who did an excellent job this morning in our 101010 devotion. I spoke to, uh, amen, I spoke to both of them. I'm going to encourage everybody again one more time. First, third, and fifth Sundays, 101010 service, 10 minutes of powerful devotion, 10 minutes of incredible corporate prayer together, preparing us for the service, preparing us for the, for the receiving of the word. I encourage you to be here. It's excellent. We have a, 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 a group of excellent teachers devoted, prayer, prayerfully devoted, preparing these, these wonderful devotions and powerful corporate prayer. This worship that you felt this morning, I know, is a direct correlation to, to our preparation and prayer as we get together on, on our, our services. But Brother and Sister Brown touched a little bit on my message in both of their pieces, and, and, and uh, it just tells me there's a unity in the spirit, and I shared that with them before service, and I'm thankful for what they had to say. 
So it's a tough topic. It's, it's, the traditional view of preaching on repentance is, is, is saddening and it's a negative beatdown and people walk away feeling terrible about themselves and that's not what God really intended. What God wants you to know that there's a freedom that matters most that comes from this most incredibly powerful but elemental and foundational aspect of our walk with God. And I want to tell you today that in my view and in my book, there are two forms of repentance. There's two aspects of repentance. There's foundational repentance. That time when you made your way down to the altar, you came down, someone had spoken, you brought you to church, your family led you to a place, and you said, okay, now's my time. I want to give it to Jesus. I'm done with this life. I've done it my way long enough, and now I want to give it to God. And so somebody led you to a place to talk to the Lord privately to yourself. We don't confess our sins one to another. But to talk to the Lord, clear that conscience, talk to the Lord about the things uh, that you know that have been wrong in your life. And that sweet, gentle, wonderful Savior began to cover you over in that warmth and you, you could feel his presence and you knew that he was hearing you and clearing you and covering you and, and taking those sins away or, or, or understanding your repentance. Repentance is a powerful tool to continue to living free. Foundational repentance is the entrance to the plan of salvation. It's the first key. Remember, Peter was given the keys from Jesus, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And Peter used those keys on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when he said to the people that had crucified Christ and all the Jews standing around him, he looked at them and he said, yeah, I've got the keys, here's what you've got to do. They were repentant in their heart. They felt the prick in their hearts, the, the guilty conscience of crucifying the Savior. And what did Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And what will it do? It will remit or erase your sins. When you went down in that water, Romans says that we're buried with him in baptism, that old carcass, that dead carcass that's still there. If you're just repenting and it ain't washed away, you're walking around with a dead carcass hanging on you. And so when you go down into that water baptism, it's a burial with Jesus and you come back up a new man. The old crud is left behind, it's gone. Your sins are under the blood. Well, pastor, does that mean we can just go live a life, do whatever we want to after that, sin like crazy? Absolutely not. We've got to turn. You see, the process of repentance is very simple. When, when, you're not, when you don't know God and you're living a life indulged in the flesh and doing the things we ought not do, they're in the word. I can show them to you. There's a whole list. Brother Brown, you covered them quite nicely this morning. Galatians chapter five, the works of the flesh, right? Those are the things displeasing to God. Those are the things that are gonna doom you to a place you don't wanna go. So when you're heading in that direction and you're walking that way, repentance literally is a turning around. It's an about face. That's what repentance means. You're changing direction and you're walking in a new direction. Now, in that walk of that new direction, are you going to sin? Are you going to make mistakes? Hopefully not willfully, hopefully not brazenly before God. I can still go out and get drunk and slap my wife around. No problem. No, it doesn't work like that. But you're walking in that right direction. Once in a while, you take a couple steps back. You make a couple of sins. You, you fall a couple times. But you keep walking in the right direction. How? Living a life of repentance. Serving God. Because if you wake up every day and you're just focused on the idea, God, I want to do something great for you today. I want to be about you today, God. Thank you for the breath in my lungs. Thank you for the life that you've given me. And you start your day out that way. And you're walking in the right direction. You're living a life of repentance. 
See, repentance is the turnaround. So if you're living, striving to work, to serve God, you're living a life of repentance. That's the second kind, you see? Now, does that mean you just sin, let things happen, and God knows, and he'll just take care of it? No, certainly. The apostle Paul said that I die daily. What he meant is he dies to his flesh daily. He repents daily. There should be a place in your time, both in your morning, in my opinion, your morning and your evening, where you say, God, if I did something today that didn't please you, Please forgive me. God, I don't want to be displeasing to you. Take that sin from me. Please forgive me. God, I made a mistake. That guy cut me off on the freeway today and, and I said some magical words I shouldn't have said or whatever the case may be. In Matthew chapter 3 and 2 and on again in 4 and 17, Jesus and John the Baptist, or actually in the reverse order, John the Baptist and Jesus share this same command in foundational repentance. They simply say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did Jesus mean he was coming back in a couple of minutes? No. Because the kingdom of heaven is this life that we're living, the direction that we're going to get there. The kingdom of heaven is at hand for you every moment of the day. You know, it... it one pastor I know said this one time from the pulpit. He said, you know, it wouldn't take more than an English pea-sized blood clot in my brain to end my life this moment. The kingdom of heaven would be at hand for me at that moment, wouldn't it? Jesus told his disciples in Luke 24 and 47, you know it very well, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You know why he said beginning at Jerusalem? Because he said, don't look out there. Don't start looking out at everybody else you've got to go find and, and preach this to. It starts right here. It starts in this Jerusalem. We've got to get a life of repentance built in us first so that we can go out and share this great story, this freedom that really matters, this exciting freedom that if you just take your pride and you take some things down that existed in your life before you got here and you let God take it away from you, there's a freedom, there's an excitement, and there's a joy that exists for living for God that way. But you've got to start at Jerusalem first, right? Acts chapter 17 and 30 tells us the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because it says in that verse that because he hath an appointed day that Jesus will judge the world in righteousness. Do you know that Jesus Christ has not judged anybody yet? Not one person. He hadn't judged anybody. So neither should you or me. I don't know your heart, I don't know your walk, I don't know everything about you, and you don't know what I'm dealing with either. And Jesus hadn't judged anybody yet. But there's coming a day. There's coming a day where he's going to open up the books. I believe 66 of them are going to sit on a podium in front of him in another book called the Book of Life. Then he will be the judge. The question will be, have you repented? Have you followed his word? Peter told the Jews that called for Jesus' crucifixion in Acts 3 and 19, he said, repent therefore and be converted. It means changed. He says that your sins may be blotted out. You become a new man, a new person. You become somebody different than you were before. Well, pastor, I wasn't that much of a bad person. I went to church with my grandma a couple of times and, and I was good and I, gave, I put a couple quarters in the, in the, play, the guy playing guitar in the subway and, and I did wonderful works, right? 
Well, I want to tell you that Matthew chapter 7, it says that someday when Jesus has those books out on that podium and that book of life out on that podium, there's going to be people standing in front of him that are saying, Jesus, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful works? Weren't we good people? Didn't I pray, play uh, Christian music on my radio at home? And he's going to say, depart from me, you that work iniquity, for I knew you not. There's that word again, that word, in, that generational, lagging, hanging, continual sin. See, they weren't fully repented. They didn't live a life of repentance. They didn't have it as part of who they are. They were walking for themselves. They did the things that they wanted to do to make themselves feel good. I talk to some, every once in a while, I run into some good folks. They're, they, they're Christian people by their, de, by their definition and their standard. And I've sat and talked with them and they tell me how they, well, we built some wells in Haiti and um, we, we put up a, a Lego store in uh, Schomburg and we <laughs> And, and they have all these works that they've done. And I listen to this wonderful, this list of wonderful things. You know what? We do that too. United Pentecostal Church does that too. We send vehicles, Chiefs for Christ, young people. We send vehicles into the mission field so our missionaries can get into remote places and preach the gospel. You know what they're preaching with those vehicles? They're preaching repentance and following God's word. We build wells, we build churches, we do those many wonderful works. And I'm going to touch on that in just a moment. Foundational repentance is for sinners coming to God for the first time, not for those who already know him. We don't need to keep reconverting. Okay, now I'm saying foundational repentance. Listen to Matthew 9 and 13. This is Jesus. He says, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So you know what that tells me? Well, who are the righteous? That's a pretty audacious word, right? Well, you're righteous? The Bible says none are righteous, right? Our righteousness is filthy rags. But clearly there's someone that Jesus identifies as the righteous. Does that mean they're completely without sin? That they're people that are perfect? No. But they're people on this path. People working on this path every day. And maybe they take a couple steps back once in a while, but they keep going and keep going that way. They're not the people who turn back around and go this way. You understand? That's not the righteous. He didn't come for preaching repentance to these folks. We know it already. We should, right? We should be living it. So when this happens, where are we? Lord, God, forgive me for doing that again. Forgive me for making that mistake. And then you keep right on going. But I want to tell you something. God does not want his people languishing in an eternal foundational repentance. He doesn't want you down here at this altar every single service. Oh, God, forgive me for the 702 sins I did this week. Forgive me for all this list. And you pull out the thing and the list falls way down and you're languishing. And, and it, that's not what God wants. He wants that repentance thing to be over. He wants that turnaround to happen and this action start going so that he can start working with you to get out to them. It started at Jerusalem, but there's Judea and Samaria and all the other parts of the world. It's not for you to just continuously languish in your sin and your repentance. The Bible says, essentially in Hebrews chapter six, it says if you do that, that you're crucifying him over and over again. You can't do that. You see, you gotta be converted. Mark two, uh, excuse me, Mark 2 and 17, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, who are the whole and who are the sick? You should be whole. You should be complete in that. Why? Because you're here, you're living a life every day. 
focusing on what you can do for him and, what, and, and praising him for what he does for you. But more so, the most important thing is taking all of that knowledge and all of that understanding and giving it to somebody else. That's the whole person. But they that are sick, that coworker that you know, that person struggling with drug addiction or some other thing, that neighbor who's hurting, they're the sick ones. Luke 15 and 7 says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Who are the just people? Who are the just persons? See, that's a reflection of Jesus' words. He said that if he's got 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, he'll leave the 99. They're whole, you see, they're healthy. They're the healthy sheep. Does that mean they're without sin or they're perfect? No. Mm -mm. But they're living a life of repentance. Start your day and end your day with a word of repentance. Just let God know. Just clear that heart every day. Every day. I'll tell you, there's freedom. It's the freedom that matters. I'm getting there. Proverbs 24 and 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but a wicked man shall fall into mischief. Seven times. You know that the Bible says that God is good and faithful to forgive us 70 times seven in a day? You fall 490 times in a day. And I know God well enough to know he won't stop there. So if you hit 491, he'll be there for you. Or wait till 1201 and do the 491. You see, start the clock over. I'm joking. Lifestyle repentance. That's the other side of this is what I'm talking about. John the Baptist warned the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 3 and 8. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Meaning true repentance, change, that turnaround. Bear fruit. Well, again, Brother Brown, thank you. You talked about in Galatians chapter 5 the works of the flesh, but then you talked about the works of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, those good things that God looks for, right? So what's the bridge? What's the bridge between the works of flesh and the works of the fruit of the Spirit? It's repentance. Daily, daily consider it repentance when we make our mistakes. But then the works of the flesh can't dominate. See, those works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5 that Brother Brown talked about, they're nasty. I mean, if you go over that list, you can go find it. I'm not going to read them. He did a good job. We're not going to go back to that ugliness and that iniquity and those terrible things. We're not, we're not cheating on our wives and we're not getting drunk and slapping people around and doing drugs and stealing things and committing fraud and et cetera, et cetera, all those horrible things. Cussing somebody out on the freeway isn't good either. You know, to God, sin is sin. But I can overcome cussing somebody out on the freeway way better than I can an alcohol addiction or abusive relationships and so on, right? Acts 26 and 20 says this, it says, but showed first unto them of Damascus, this is Paul, and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles, what? That they should repent and turn to God and do what? And do works meet or worthy of repentance, Actions that reflect a true turnaround, a true walk with God. So your fruit's going to bear out. Are you living a life of repentance? Your actions or the works meet for repentance, worthy of repentance, are going to show through you. So he's telling them, okay, once you do that repentance, you got to get back on this trail again. You got to keep doing the works. You got to keep after that, right? 
It's a striving. It's, it, 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 it's an effort. Like I said, we could, we could be a morgue. We could be a church full of dead people. We could be a museum. We could stand still like a stone statue or we could be a movement. Movement. Doing God's work. It's really important to understand the distinction between foundational and lifestyle repentance. The first repentance, of course, is a conversion. It's meant to be permanent. See, once you... Once you go down in that water grave, you come out a new man. You can read Hebrews chapter six. It's somewhat of a controversial passage of scripture there that talks about whether or not you can turn completely away and that you can come back. And there's a lot of thoughts on that. I was gonna preach part of that today, but it'd get too long. That could be a whole sermon in itself. But I'll say this to you. I don't wanna test it. I don't wanna try it out and see how it works out. I want to stay as far away from that concept as possible. You might say, well, well, pastor, look, we know, we've known people that have fallen away from the Lord and, and they've come back and God's refreshed them and redeemed them. Yes, he has. But I guess we have to understand what is the depth of how far they were gone, what God did with them in that situation and how they came back. But like I said, I don't want to test it and I don't want you to either. As I said, we're not meant to live continually in conversion repentance. We're not going back all the time, re-killing ourselves, re-killing that old flesh, uh, dying to that old person over and over and over again. We, uh, we live a life directed but at pleasing God. We repent when we slip or fall. Paul preached dying daily, as I mentioned to you earlier. But look at the strategy that Peter lays out, the apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll give you a second to go there. 2 Peter chapter 1. In my view, you may have read this differently, those of you that know this passage, in my view, this is a strategy for success in living a life of repentance, living a life that doesn't take you back to the old man, keeps you on the path going in the right direction. Second Peter chapter one, starting at verse five, reads like this. It says, and beside this, giving all diligence, that means a lot of effort, like all of your effort, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. You had to have faith to get here. You had to have faith to reach out to God. It was a foundational piece. If you don't believe there's a God, chances are you're not coming here today. Okay, makes sense. Simple, Pastor. Thank you. Add to your faith virtue. What is virtue? That's goodness. That's, that's purity as best as you can get to it. And to virtue, knowledge. You've got to get into the word. You've got to know God. Get your Bible studies. Get into your word. You can't just live this thing with it closed up like this. It's got to be open in your life. It's got to be a part of what you do every day. And remember, I said this is strategy for continuing on the road, living a righteous life. Add to knowledge temperance. What is temperance? That's self-control. Uh, uh, just continuing to be even keel. Don't be jumping all up and down. Today I'm super on fire. Ah! And the next day I'm down in the pits and I'm dead and I don't want to live anymore. You got to have some temperance. You got to take it easy. And to temperance patience. And to patience godliness. What's godliness? Well, stop your cussing. Stop dressing like, you, like you're... Never mind. It... <laughs> Bring some things under control is what I'm saying. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity, which of course is love. Isn't it interesting that it lives with kindness, or ends with kindness, excuse me. Kindness, brotherly kindness. You have a brother? Not when, I'm not talking about an eight-year-old level brother. I'm talking about adult brother that you love. And you, you see that you love them in a deep way. That's familial love. 
And it adds to that kindness, love. Interesting. For if these things be in you and abound, okay, so if they're in you, but they're really about who you are, like if somebody just heard about you, they go, oh yeah, that person, they're really a sweetheart. They're really a great people. I love hanging out with them. They're positive and they're happy and they don't trash people and they don't rip on the pastor and they don't tear up the church. I like them. I like to hang out with them. It's abounding in you. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that word fruit again, unfruitful, showing God's attributes, showing the things that he wants you to show, reaching people, bearing fruit. If you have those things abounding within you, you're not gonna be going back in this direction. See, that stuff abounding in you is gonna keep you moving this way. You know, naturally, most fruit contains a lot of natural sugar in it, right? When you eat it, it's, it gives you energy. Bananas have potassium and apples have sugar, right? Just keep eating that fruit, being about that fruit, and you're going to have the energy to keep rolling on this path, and you're not going to slip back and turn this way. By the way, this directional thing does not mean this half of the church are the sinners and this half of the church are the good people. This is strictly just modeling. <laughs> Brother Rob said, amen. Thank you for that. You're glad I clarified that, aren't you? Okay, see? See, I'm abounding in these, these graceful things I'm trying to share. If you go to verse nine, though, it says this. It says, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. If you're blind and you're on the path of righteousness and you're going that way, be pretty easy to start wandering off the path, getting a little bit lost, right? Can't see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is your path to heaven. You see, it says you got to make your election and your calling sure. There's far too many people that want to live on the path like this instead of this. You see what I'm saying? We can't have our toe on this side of the fence and that side of the fence. You got to make your calling and your election sure. I'm on this path. And I'm going to stay on this path. And every day you've got to reaffirm, I'm on this path. This is the path I'm going. I'm living for God. He saved me. He cleared me of my sins. He covered me. He brought me out of things that were terrible, a life that was, was beat down, a life that was going in the wrong direction. I am declaring today, my calling and my election are sure. I have elected God as my king and my president, by the way, and I am making my calling known. I'm going that way and I'm not turning around. Living repentance, however, is not without challenge. It's hard, it hurts, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, it brings some sadness to deal with our failures, it displeases God. But the sorrow of the world, meaning unrepented sin and failure to know God is an everlasting sorrow. My Bible says that though sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Why? Because I've got repentance. Because I can go to my God, my Savior, the one who saved me, and I say, God, I messed up. I know I'm probably going to reap a few things, but God, I know that you're still with me. Sorrow's going to last for the night, but joy is going to come in the morning because I'm going to wake up and I'm going to stand up strong and I go, I know God forgives me. My Savior's got me covered. 
Paul writes this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 9. Listen to what he says. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. He's talking about a letter that he wrote to the Corinthians about repentance. He says, not that you were made sorry. I'm not happy about that. I don't like to see people here down at the altar weeping and, and pouring out and, and having all that stuff come to the forefront. It's not, it's not a, a great happy time to have them go through that, but I do rejoice in that it's a godly sorrow because I know what's coming next because when they stand up from that altar, if they're not already speaking in tongues and being filled with the Holy Ghost, they're on their way. They're on the right path. It's a time to rejoice. That's a godly sorrow. And Paul says, that, but that you sorrowed to repentance for you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. In other words, you're not going to be hurt by any of this. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Isn't that exciting? That repentance worketh to salvation. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, you have sorrow now, but I'll see you again and your, and your heart will rejoice and you'll have a joy that no man can take from you. That's a promise from Jesus Christ himself. It might hurt for a while. We're going to make our mistakes, folks. I say it all the time. We're wrapped in this nasty gunk all over our bodies. It's called the flesh. We're going to make our mistakes. We're going to get angry. We're going to judge. We're going to hurt people. They're going to hurt us. Things are going to happen. But I want to tell you that if you've got that life on the right path, living a life of repentance, there's a joy that comes after that sorrow that Jesus has promised you. No man can take it away. If you're living out there in this world right now and your joy has been sucked away from you because of all this political nonsense and, and looting and all these things and this, this, this election that's going to happen and all that, if that has taken your joy, the enemy has robbed you of your strength and you're in a dangerous position. Jesus said, if you repent of that stuff and forget about all that, turn your focus on him, he's got a joy for you he ain't going to take away. I want you to brace yourselves right now. I want you to say it right now. I just have to throw this in there. Say, I don't care whoever is elected president of the United States on November 3rd. It doesn't matter. I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. He's going to carry me through. He is going to be the shelter in the storm. He's the strong tower that keeps me going. There ain't no president. There's no government. There's no socialism. There's no movement that's going to take away my joy. And it's not going to stop what I've got with Jesus Christ. Make that determination right now. Put that in your book and seal it. I don't want to see my brothers and sisters tore up over all this stuff. We're sojourners in a world that we're just a short time. This life is a vapor compared to eternity. The stuff I'm preaching to you today is about eternity. It's about the long time. Don't worry about what's going on today. God's got this. If somebody gets in there that you don't like, guess what? It's because God allowed it. All right, I better cut that out and get back on this. I'm getting ready to close. By the way, we've got, I saw a bunch of visitors in the house today. Guests, faces I don't know anyway. And uh, you came at an interesting time. I'm preaching some pretty heavy duty stuff, but we preach the word of God in this church, don't we? Same King James Bible you can find in any church, Christian church in America. And I'm preaching it to you today because God first gave it to this lovely young couple over here who came and gave a devotion this morning and preached those exact words and then gave it to me. And we didn't confab on that, did we? You guys didn't call me and tell me. 
So we're glad to have our guests in the house this morning. Thank you for being here. And I'm praying that God just it touches you. Amen. Repentance is the key to freedom. I said at the beginning that the message is the freedom that really matters. So many people worried right now about their freedoms. Oh, they're going to take our freedoms away. <laughs> our freedoms have been eroding for decades. Come on. Can you have a prayer meeting in the middle of your public school? They can't even take a flag out on a football field right now. The American flag. Old glory. Kids can't take it out on a football field. You think our freedoms aren't eroded away? What happens when they come to your pastor and say, hey, we got to shut you down again? There's some things we need to be concerned about that have nothing to do with the flag and all these freedoms that we're so worried about losing. In Luke 4, Jesus told the disciples that he came to preach the gospel to the poor, Sister Brown, referencing a scripture in Isaiah chapter 61 that he read in the temple. He picked up the book. He opened the book. It says to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, he says that he came to preach the gospel to the poor, those who don't know God. That's what that poor means. It doesn't mean people without money. It means people that don't know God. Uh, preach deliverance to the captives. Well, captive of what? He's talking about repentance, preaching repentance because we're captive in our sin. We're captive in that old body, that old, that old manner that we live in, Right? He's preaching deliverance to those. He's preaching that repentance. Sight to the blind and and set the bruised and the hurting free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Romans chapter 6 and 18 says it this way. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness. And the end is everlasting life. Galatians 5 and 1 says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So how do we live truly free? We live a life of repentance bearing those good fruits we talked about. Love, joy, peace, temperance, meekness, patience, all of that stuff. Galatians chapter 5. We talk to God. We work hard to never ever turn back on the path in the other direction. Every day should be a day that we live in repentance. You know, the Bible says that if thy brother offend thee, you're hurt. Don't sin. Don't gossip about it. Don't tear people up. You're supposed to go to your brother. It also says that if, if a brother is caught in a sin or has fallen and made a mistake, it says to restore him in what? In love, Right? Live a life of repentance, but understand that other people have to have that opportunity too. You can stand this morning with me. We play a very, very dangerous game as human beings living and walking in flesh, making our own mistakes. When we look at the speck in our brother's eye, And we forget about the beam that's in our own. We play a dangerous game when we're trying to apply repentance to someone else. Well, they made a mistake. Do you know that the second you do that, you take a step of self-righteousness? 
you raise yourself up one step above that person. And you do it again and you take another step up. Pretty soon, you're in a high place. You know what a high place is in the word of God? King Hezekiah tore them all down in the temple. It's when we raise something up above others, when we raise something up above God. Don't put yourself in a high place. See, the life of repentance is a low place. It's a place we should do when we're humbling ourselves on our knees. Don't worry about the other person. Don't apply repentance to somebody else. Do what the word says. If there's an offense, if there's a hurt, restore them in love. But you stay down where you're supposed to. Love, mercy, and humility is the way that you live a life of repentance. Revelation chapter three and three says it this way. It says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Remember what you've heard. Remember that you're walking in flesh. You're making mistakes. You're on that path and sometimes you take a few steps back. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And God will give you that joy that he promised that no man can take away. Jesus, we're so very thankful, God, for your word. We're thankful that we even have the opportunity, God, not through the blood of bulls and goats, not through sacrifice of the old days, but God, simply because that your blood was shed on Calvary, that we have a place that we can go. God, that we can bear our hearts. That we can Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.